Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 4, titled Service with a Smile. Oh, yeah. With a smile. With a big Negan old... can't stop smiling. I think he, he only stopped smiling one time in the episode. Yeah. Uh, what would you think of this episode? It's So the episode is pretty good. Um... But I've got a couple of I got some couple of caveats. Mm-hmm. Number one, I'm still really concerned about this singular plot line, and I'll talk about like that later one and how it's impacting like what we're feeling about Dwight and Negan and Rick and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Secondly, as a result of that, I'm also starting to get concerned that a little bit of Negan goes a long way, and when you're stuck with him for a full hour, it. It, it it can get tedious. Yeah. We, I asked you like forty five minutes in, after one of his you know infamously lo- you know infamous, Jesus Rick, what yeah. do you think is going to happen now? I need man. your guns, Rick. Yeah, like, I want your guns. I'm like Jesus Christ. This is like William Shatner hit upside the head with Lucille delivery. Like <laughs> speed it up. I know where this is going. I've seen this same conversation four or five times. Right. It hasn't. He hasn't worn out his welcome, but and, and if this was told in any kind of regular type of story where it's all threaded, and we would have gotten this episode, you know, right. maybe not this episode, in you know, over the course of three or four, but I, I that's that's the thing that I'm worried about. What do you think? Yeah. So when you asked me that, we were watching it for funsies, right? Like we're watching it, we're doing the live watch, we're cracking jokes, we're we're there to kind of just have a good time, entertain. Second watch was not so kind to Negan. Mm. Second watch was not so kind to this whole episode. I actually think this episode was pretty tiresome. Really? Uh, top to bottom. Yeah. It didn't need to be 90 minutes, in my opinion. I could well, have done with a 60-minute episode. I was I was going to ask you that it seemed like maybe a mistake to stretch this one out. Uh, yeah, because I think it was so. good. It was a good. It was a good plot, and it was fairly involving for what it was. But... And stuff that we wanted to see, and stuff that needed to happen. Like, right. I get it. It all. It all could have been fine. It just it overstayed its welcome to yeah. me. Also, when is Tara and Heath ever going to get back? Oh my God, uh, are they coming back? Do we even know? Have they? Have they decided just fuck it we're leaving they're rolling up fear the walking dead and it's going to be fear the fist bump they're they're spinning them off we're going to find out that they went on a whole adventure and we're never going to see them again yeah they might they met up with uh who was the who was the latino family that split off in season one uh i don't or remember it wasn't their Orson. name god damn it or it wasn't I, I forget but you know the the ones that took the guns and left around episode four or five in season one yeah Hooked up with them, and there it's it's a it's a sit- situational comedy, heartwarming tale about family life and the apocalypse. I might watch that one. We'll see. I'll <laughs> give it an episode at least. Sure. But yeah, so that's basically how I felt about it. Like I I had a good old time on the first one because mm-hmm. I wasn't really watching it. Mm-hmm. Second time through, uh, I don't know. I think a lot, and again, a lot of this I feel are structural problems. It's not necessarily the storytelling. It's not necessarily that what's going on is not interesting. It's just that when you hold a spotlight up to one particular scene this long, yeah. you know, it's like if you've got a a monster in a rubber mask, you got to keep it in the dark. You got to keep it quick cuts. You, uh-huh. you got to keep things moving. You know, like like Steven Spielberg and Jaws. If if they ever held Jaws on frame for like five oh, minutes, yeah. and, and had him give a soliloquy, yeah. he'd be like, "What the fuck is this rubber mechanical <laughs> those, shark? Get it out of <laughs> those here!" Those rubber teeth chomp down on something for more than a split <laughs> second. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. And Negan's kind of like that Jaws, Vaughn. He's even got a little bit of da-dump to him. Like, yeah. He needs to get in and out. Yep. So, should we go into the recap? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Michonne wakes up, sleeping next to to Rick, and what she doesn't know will be her last night of mattress sleep. Right, yeah. She Uh, would have savored it had she known. Yeah, that's just like life, right? Mm -hmm. Life doesn't give you the chance to savor things before it rips them away. So you need to savor every moment. Every moment, Michonne. Every quilted top moment you should have savored. She gets up in the early morning, straps on her sword after... Uh, eyeing its former resting place above the mantle, then retrieves a gun from the chimney, specifically a rifle with a very long-range scope uh, from the fireplace. Rick managed to see her go, although they don't exchange any words. Uh, She walks out into the woods, finds a field, and picks a spot on an old, burnt-out Jeep and camps out. Yeah. What is she doing? I had no idea what she was doing. Yeah, I was like, this is interesting. Is she going to... Because Michonne's, I like, I, it wouldn't have surprised me if she decided she needed to get away with people from a while. Sure, yeah, for a while. Like you know, she's she's, it's everything's too real. And I thought maybe she was just going to camp out there for a while. Uh, Eugene's at the front gate working on a broken radio and ignoring reasonable requests to open the fucking gate. Uh, Rosita seems like she's got a little bit of contempt working for old Eugene. She does. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know, like, Eugene won a little taste of action, and he got it, and now he's just, like, catatonically working on his radio. And she, yet she, watching her lover, former lover, with a lot of emotional, confused feelings going around, get beat to death, has to go back out. She has no choice. Right. Eugene can choose to be a big, fat baby. <laughs> yeah, and he does. And I think, I think that's where the contempt comes from. Call me crazy. What does he... It- what is going through Eugene's mind? Does he actually think this radio is going to be the quote-unquote interesting thing that Negan wants to see next time? I don't know. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, a busted up... I've seen Negan's plays. They're watching fucking Who's the Boss over there. Right. Your little busted up speaking spell you're trying to put together ain't going to cut it, man. Maybe Negan's like a This American Life fan or something, and he's <laughs> hoping he can just get that last that last NPR station that's sure. just clinging to hope. Sure, it's been b- bouncing back. Ira Glass is the out moon, there. The moon and the earth getting fainter, fainter and fainter, but you can still make out just now, a little I, bit. Ira's out there. Ira's out there somewhere. Oh, really? He's on a boat. He's still broadcasting. Pirate style? Oh, yeah. National Pirate Radio. <laughs> uh, so, yeah... She, he finally opens up the gate after he gives uh, you know some half-ass speech about how he's not ready to go out there. When Negan pulls up and gives him the little taste of the little pigs, and everyone meets him at the gate and gives him a face full of shit, which yeah. I have a bit of a problem. The fact that everyone is openly stiff-necked and hostile to this guy who beat the shit out of two badasses out of the group for this kind of behavior, for specifically yeah. this kind of behavior. They didn't see it happen, though. Spencer didn't see it happen. But Rick and Rosita, they should know better. I mean, so I got a question, because I, w- I want to bitch, and then I want to ask if, if if I got my way, if it would actually be better. Um, okay. I feel like this is telling the story of Rick as a broken man, that, like, look, 
this isn't living like we could have lived, but this is much better than when we were eating dog food out in the, you know, when we're essentially camping. Some of them are still eating dog food. True. At least True. one of them. Daryl is. Yeah. But, you know, on balance, right. it's, it's a better life than what we had a year ago when sure. we were running for our lives and scraping things by and getting swept up with disease and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he's broken and he's like, okay, this is a level of sustenance that I will accept if it just means no more people die because I'm, I'm feeling all the weight like i feel like that's the effective part of this story then why this sullen why why this affect why not just go full in and go like full toady or just like Mm -hmm. fully compliant like why give negan excuse to take your guns and shit like that yeah the second thing is he's he's not really giving in to negan he just wants negan to think he's giving in in which case you should really lay low get him in a false sense of complacency and then spring the trap yeah. Now, after but, I but say that, but you don't want to play it too, too toady, or you end up he gets suspicious of that too. Yeah. Or, or also, if you don't give him a bit of resistance, so he can win some rewards and and do things like confiscate your mm. mattresses and burn them, maybe he does beat someone to death just because he's going to do something to piss you off. And yeah. if if you completely roll over, then he might just go overboard. Yeah, if maybe. he thinks because because from Negan's point of view, he's got to keep you producing, and these are formidable people, so he can't push him too far. Like he realizes that mm-hmm. his, I think that's what's the interesting part about him is that he kind of realizes where his power is at and how fairly precarious it is. Yeah, and I, I do think the episode is trying to tell us in spots that Rick is not entirely on board with this. Like though though those I think are the they're words doing too good of a job showing that part of it is what I would argue. Uh, right, yeah. right. Especially in the face of Negan. But like specifically at the end where Negan turns his back on Rick and and you can see that Rick is gripping the bat thinking oh I could take him out right yeah, now. This is the moment. This could be it. Uh and then he turns around and Rick immediately goes limp again. Mm-hmm. Like that that to me says that Rick is Going, Rick is going to try to resist somehow when yeah. Negan isn't looking. Mm. Uh, so I, I really do think that you know Rick. Rick has not just completely rolled over, despite the words coming out of his mouth. Because in this moment, they are powerless for sure. Gotcha. Okay, so Negan beats a walker to death at the front gates as a way of like showing that he's protecting his people, and then he has Rick right. hold Lucille. Uh, then the next he goes, he says, hot diggity dog. And what I can only describe as an Austin powers type smash unzoom where it's tight on Negan's face and it explodes out and shows like all the saviors and they got jazz hands. Like it was such a weird choice for this (laughs) establishing shot. Huh? Okay. I I didn't notice it. Yeah. Like it's, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was just crazy camera move. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you would call it and I don't know what purpose they thought it was serving, but I thought it was distracting. Um, what do you make of the service, you know, that he's delivering here? Is this is this actually going to be worth anything? Like, do they are there things out there that they need protection from that they couldn't have protected themselves from? Well, clearly Negan. Right. Is there anything else out there? That <laughs> is there is what a, I mean. a, a bigger army? I don't know. Right. Is there someone that owns, uh, you know, the, the is there a herd they don't know about in the bullet farm and they're going to come calling? Maybe. Yeah. Mad Max style. Sure. Sure. I, I, I don't humongous butthole or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Because that's the thing is like Rick thought he could handle every th- threat with this this group. Right. And he found out he can't. So um, 
he he, he spots Daryl and tries to say hi to his friend. Well, not just say hi, but see how he's doing. And Negan shuts that shit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then creeps out Rosita. Uh, then Nick or Rick uh, suggests that he's got uh, some ideas on how they can divvy up half the supplies. And Negan says, "Nope, you don't get to do that. I decide what's half." Which is the first of the mini Darth Vader style pray I don't alter the deal any furthers that he gets from Negan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of Alexandrians you can see in their face. They're not too sure about this turn of events. Um, and, uh, although I would like to say, what the fuck are they going to do about it? Because these guys have historically been fucking useless. Um, yeah, that's and true. then Negan asks Rick to show him around, which he does reluctantly. Um, we have a B plot here with Dwight. Uh, Dwight wants Daryl's bike. Mm-hmm. He confiscates Rosita and Spencer's guns. They're about to go on a supply run. He steals Rosita's hat. Uh, he empties their water canteen pointlessly. Dwight is run for asshole of the year here. Yeah, and it's real strange to me. Because this, fir- this is the first, I think, of many problems with the episode caused entirely by the singular plot focus. Because... We advanced Dwight's understanding or our understanding of Dwight's character so much in the previous episode mm-hmm. that this seems weirdly throwback. Yeah. Like, well, who is he? Is this who he really is? Or is he doing this as a way to hide his true bleeding heart self? Like, it's super confusing. And, and mm-hmm. if this these stories were told in parallel, you could see Dwight the asshole and then the cracks beneath the facade. But we've seen seen the facade and the foundation crumble, and now we're left with just a kind of false note-sounding, vicious Dwight. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, uh, I also thought they were being pretty careless about how they searched this town. Like, nobody suspects that this might be a trap. Nobody. They're just walking in. Strolling, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would be worried about the first meeting at a defensive location, easily defended location, Especially with a new group of people. They brought Daryl with them, which is they're kind of like hostage for safe conduct. Right. Now so, now the trap can be sprung. We can get Daryl back. There will be no consequences. We'll kill all of them. Hmm. Game over. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> Not Negan, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Rick Rick doesn't have his man bush to prop him up anymore. Uh, They're doing a hell of a job, though, making me hate these characters. Because I hate Dwight. I hate Negan. uh, I hate... Little girl guy. Dave or... Davey. Davey. Yeah. Fucking hate all those guys. Yeah, they're the worst. They are. the worst. I hate Bones Face or whatever her... What is her name? Bone... Bone Saw? Mm, uh, Haggis? uh, Frank. can't... Yeah, Frank. That's her name. (laughs) That's her name. Frankie. Yeah, all of them. They're all a bunch of assholes. Uh, anyway, Michonne's out in her field, and she's trying to hit a walker from long range. And it's not as easy as it looks, because she's apparently not sighted in the scope. Uh, she's <laughs> trying to use this rifle just standing up, not break. I mean, and then you find out that she's also trying to use this long range scope to shoot something from about 30 foot away. Just having a bad time with it. Gets frustrated and ends up slicing the walker's head clean in twain, which was a pretty amazing visual. Yeah, I... I actually like that she's kind of terrible at shooting. It's yeah. interesting to see a badass just totally out of their element. Right, right. Because she is in her own right a badass, just not with guns. Right. It's like, you know, in D&D, a swordsman trying to decide they're going to be a spellcaster. Yeah, it's not going to work out well. Rough. You're a rough. tank. <laughs> rough when you try to do those uh, cross-class uh, uh, switcheroos. Uh, she also finds out she accidentally assassinates a deer, which has got to be like a one-in-a-million kind of shot. 
Yeah, I'll let it slide. Because but... deers are not famously drawn to gunfire. Mm-hmm. I also think this would be really funny if you contextualize this as the Bambi story. Like, Bambi entirely takes place in the post-apocalyptic future, overrun by zombies. She, Bambi's mother wasn't shot by hunters. It was shot by Michonne. It was uh-huh. using a z- zombie for it. It's just even more pointless existentialism yeah. uh, in, in your Bambi film. What's the point of her shooting the deer? I don't know. Maybe she got something innocent killed when she was trying to kill something not so innocent. Maybe that's the the thing they're going after here, the idea. There's also, like, this is, like, the kind of the silver lining. Well, I'm a suck. I, I sh- I'm a shit shooter. But, hey, fresh venison. And then it gets taken away by Negan at the end. It does, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, not everything has to have a point. I thought it was kind of fun. And it got it let Deny kind of run around and, and perform. Uh, I mean, this seems like it's the hardest job as an actor when you don't have anything to go off of. You just have a script that says you're supposed to be feeling these things and doing these things, and uh-huh. you don't have anyone, uh, you know, you don't have a partner that's, that, that you can bounce off of. It's just you and the camera and a dead mm-hmm. deer. And, yeah, uh, in some ways, I I imagine that would also be, like, the most freeing because you don't have somebody else's words that you have to somebody vomit else, forward someone else from your mouth. Up your screen time. you got to share that. No, no, no. <laughs> somebody else's words coming out of your right. mouth, like trying to adapt – your performance to someone else's words right. i imagine is probably one of the harder parts of being an actor yeah. yeah uh but i i think the point of all of this is michonne is the new andrea right did andrea ever get to be a good shot i mean she hit daryl from pretty far away she was a way better shot than michonne that's but for she sure. wasn't supposed to I, mean, I know, but she story, hit her the, target. The story there is she almost killed Daryl, not, hey, she's a fair, pretty fair shot. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Um, Negan, it turns out, is there mostly to steal furniture from the Alexander safe zone. He's, right. He's stealing. And their keyboards. Yeah. Yep. Their skeet blankets. Wine racks. It's, it's, it's all essentially a giant goodwill that they're, they got $20 and it's infinite, infinite tag pop. How can you be living like a king without a keyboard? That's what I want to know because... Good question. I certainly can't. The guys in Negan's plays are apparently, quote unquote, living like kings, if we're to believe Dwight. Mm. I just, I don't, I wouldn't want to live without a keyboard. Yeah, here's the thing. I don't buy in a million years that Dwight would spend his precious electrical budget watching Who's the Boss. Now, <laughs> Nasty Nymphos 3, sure. Right. Like, nobody is circulating 80s sitcoms, man. It's going to be pornography. Maybe he's seen it one too many times, Nasty Nymphos, and now he's on Maybe the, he's got the Danza Tony, kick. Yeah, yeah. He's, got a, he's, got a, he's, a, he's got an addiction for Danza. <laughs> uh, anyway... So he's also pilfering beers, I guess, is what he pulled out of that cooler and took, like, one sip and then threw it on the ground. That was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he watches Rick's induction video where Deanna's interviewing him, and he's talking crazy, crazy Rick, and he's got the what Negan accurately describes as a man bush. Uh-huh. And he goes, man, I would not have messed with that guy, but that's not you anymore, and he taunts them. And then he says he wants to see Maggie because widows are empty inside, and he likes to fill them. Father Gabriel then shows up and creeps him the fuck out, which I thought is one of the best moments of the show. Like, yeah, it's very self-aware. Like, nobody likes this character. Right. And Negan accurately just breaks him down uh, exactly what the hell's wrong with him. Uh, his, 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 his collar and his freaky-ass smile. Yep. Uh, Father Gabriel improvises that Maggie didn't make it. And uh, so here, 
Oh, man. So here's where things start to break down a little bit. Okay. It's it's actually not here. It's when the gun stuff comes up, but this is the beginning of it. So keep in mind as you as you watch the ne- the next what hour of the episode sure. that Rick is totally fine lying to Negan about Maggie having made it because none of us believe that Maggie's dead, right? No, I didn't. Okay, because well, Sasha's not around. So and the obviously, in the way Father Gabriel, he he kind of bops up, kind of in tee hee tee hee kind of mode. Right. So I'm like, okay, this is and not it, you how know you're... he says a grave that's never going to be filled and like all this stuff. So Maggie's not dead. Rick is totally fine lying to Negan's face about a member of their group being dead. Which keep that in mind going forward to the gun part of this. Yeah, because the other thing is this is not an easy secret to keep safe this is the right. one of the leaders of their community that is currently trying to make the way to hilltop which currently was trying to lead a rebellion against negan and is also giving supplies to negan he's gonna like his guys are gonna go there eventually to the hilltop right like this is this is the problem it maggie doesn't know about this lie either uh-huh. so maggie's walking around free-spirited and right. fun You're right and suddenly negan rolls up and he's like oh well i guess it's time to kill somebody yep no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a shit show. Which that's fine if that actually comes to pass. But I don't know that they'll even acknowledge that it's some kind of uh, cognitive dissonance here between the idea that Maggie can live and he can lie about it, and the guns can all need to be given to Negan. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. And also, like, I don't know what to think about Negan as far as like last week. People were trying to push this whole like, oh, Negan. He's got some some shades to him because he doesn't rape women, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know what I don't know exactly what he's getting at with Maggie. I mean, That's and, and the Rosita pretty... and a lot of like it seems like and and like again uh, demanding. Well, I demanding out... that you marry and have sex with me so you can have your life saving medicine. I don't consider uh, uh, full consent either. So yeah, and know. and we talked about that with Dwight. Like, oh, pick anybody, uh, any woman, as long as she says yes. Right. The fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Do you get? I mean, you know, is, can she be high and strung out before she says yes? Right. Uh, <laughs> can I, yeah? What does that mean when Negan says, yeah, take a take a free pass? Just you know, what happens to the woman that says no? He's like sating his own conscience there, and it's. It's pretty pretty ridiculous. Yeah, uh, but there has a, a gunshot in the middle of this conversation, and Negan and Rick are having. And Negan shifts to all business mode, and I kind of like this Negan. I like when Negan drops the act, and you can kind of see him go into the cunning animal mode that he that he operates in. Okay, and yeah. if in my mind, uh, the mistake this episode makes is he shifts too much into the disarming, you know, charming bullshit a mile a minute Negan. Yeah, because um, I'm thinking like. I don't know, but but I I still can't. I, I'm I'm trying to think of like the coolest character on the wire, Omar Little, right? Like, what if the 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 wire seasons were like this, where all of Omar's story took place in the form of like one or two episodes? Uh-huh. Like everything he's doing, you find out, and like I'm like that's that's a little too much. Like he's not a character that can that can carry that much screen time. I feel the same way about Negan. Yeah, like, or if every moment you interacted with Omar, he was Omar from the courthouse, right? Yeah, instead right. of like Omar in bed with his lover, like right? He's oh, the, he's he's in Omar calling mode all the time, like right? Yeah, that's not who he is one hundred percent of the time, and that's not what makes him interesting. I right. don't know. Maybe it's, we'll it's get puzzling more of that to me because me. I feel like this is elementary 
kind of kind of storytelling and 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 the refusal to <laughs> to get away from this format three years in is very puzzling to me because it seems like there's obviously this is what is causing a lot of the pacing pacing and character problems at this point yeah all right anyway uh they bu- bust in and carl's holding a gun on this fucker named davy who's taking all their medications carl says you said half you son of a bitch carl's hair uh, everyone's struggling not to laugh at it. <laughs> it's trying to wrap itself around Carl and devour him. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. His giant man-sized balls push out so much testosterone. He just had a haircut three days ago. It's just a oh, wait. runaway uh, hair situation. Rick's ex-girlfriend, uh, whatever with the kids, sure. wasn't she doing the haircutting? Jesse, yeah, I, she was Jessie, one of them. Yeah. She was cutting her son's hair anyway. Right, that's what's happening here. Their only barber has gone down the drain. Yep. It's like their only doctor. <laughs> anyway, Negan says, hey, look, kid, I get your, your giant balls and your giant um, hair, but but are, am I really going to have to prove how serious I am again? And yeah. I'm like, man, this is like the third time this has happened this episode. Someone should have been beat to death. Like, I'm starting mm-hmm. to take Negan not so serious. Like, he's mm-hmm. starting to sh- be show uh, some kind of weakness, like... The fact that he's not just ruthlessly enforcing his will makes me feel like that maybe, maybe the the he's more afraid to do that for whatever reason than than I'm thinking. Huh. Well, he. I mean, he does depend on these these colonies, right? Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, for if you tribute. push people too far with with any kind of torture or hardship, there gets a point where people are like. Nothing is worse than this. Right. So fuck this shit. I don't even care. I want to take this person down. Mm-hmm. And maybe he thinks that he's he's got Alexander too far on that point already. Uh, and now he's got no, nowhere that he can escalate. He's just empty bluster and threats. Because there's a lot of places where it seems like Lucille should have come out and beat some people to death. And yeah. it didn't happen. Anyway. You think uh, Carl's going to be any kind of problem for Negan? I mean, he seems to be putting up the most resistance of anyone aside from... Maybe Rosita at the end of this episode. Well, what's really interesting about Carl is if you take that thought and you mix it with the things he actually articulated to his father about how he feels let down and skeptical of his father's rule when, you know, uh, uh, Rick was in that weird kind of coma thing. Yeah. It makes it seem like there's an interesting dynamic here. He's like a loose cannon. Who does he respect? What does he want to do? What is he loyal to? Yeah, and what leverage does Negan have on him? Right. I mean, I imagine... Of all the people here, probably the least. Yeah, the 16 uh, I mean, there's year, Judas. Sixteen-year-old boy is the best bet in any community to be like, "Don't give a fuck, you <laughs> right?" Know? Birds to the world, I'm doing this, Dad. <laughs> uh, so my question is, if this outburst hadn't happened, and maybe if Rick played this a little bit smoother, does Alexander get to keep their guns? I don't think so. Well, doesn't the kingdom have guns? I know they predominantly have spears and swords and whatnot, but I thought. There's a couple points where they did have actual guns, too. Maybe that was just Morgan. Maybe Morgan's got the gun, and that's why he's you might, special. You might be right. Yeah, I, I'm I just, not sure. I, I didn't see any guns at the hilltop, but I feel like that maybe you, if, 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 he, if he's sufficiently convinced that a community is going to accept his rule, because mm-hmm. it does seem like you need guns. Like, what happens if a fucking herd shows up? Yeah. Like, Alexander could be swept off the map, and there's nothing they can do about it, and there's nothing you can do for them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I would just wonder if they kind of fucked themselves with this gun situation. Uh, Olivia then shows him the armory and her accounting system, and uh, he makes a lot of disparaging comments about her waistline and her suitability for being in charge of the pantry. 
Which, to be fair, the the fans have made as well. I mean, it's we've a, all had our fun. Joke. It's an easy joke. That's what sorry, I'm Olivia. But I, 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 my respect falls in because you don't. You never go with the obvious jokes. You know, if that's all you can come up with, that's then true. Keep noodling. Um, but he also says, "Hey, look, Rick. I'm not taking any of your food because I see how bad off you are. I'm taking all the other shit. But the food is something you need to survive, and I need you to survive to keep." given given to me mm-hmm. um and he wants a thank you from rick and rick stone faces him mm-hmm. seems like again there's a balance here like you don't want to go too far and think that like make it obvious that you're carrying him i i don't know i just felt like that they didn't get the balance just right in this episode yeah yeah i'm with you i i also this idea of i'm a very reasonable man so long as you cooperate. Right. That's the very definition of unreasonable. Sure. Uh, I'm reasonable if everything goes my way. Yeah. That is psychopath talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a good one. Uh, and, and I I guess, is the show trying to use that to tell us that he's a very unreasonable man? Or do they actually think that he is somewhat reasonable? No, I think all this stuff is just him being an asshole and kind of... I don't know, sizing up Alexander and deciding what best kind of motivation they need. Because what it seems like, it's like, do these guys need a kick in the ass? Do they need a bunch of idle threats? Do they need a pointless, like, is burning their mattresses essentially the same as beating one of them to death? I I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much he knows what he's doing and how much he's just kind of, like, feeling the stuff out. But um, the uh, the bottom line in this scene is he says, look, I'm going to give you one chance to get right with this gun situation. And you know there better not be any 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 guns hiding out in the in the breeze because that's going to be a your ass moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer uh, is off with um, Rosita trying to find Daryl's bike to get it, give it back to Dwight, and he's just bitching nonstop about Rick and the mess he's gotten him into. And Rosita wanders off. I remember thinking, what the fuck is she doing? But also being grateful that we don't get a one episode entirely about the search for the bike. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, Negan test fires what I think is a Desert Eagle through one of the Alexandrians' windows. Looks like it. Has a really good time fantasizing about the rocket launcher and what kind of fun he's going to have with that. Uh, we find out that the people that <laughs> that the Daryl wasted that rocket launcher is Little Timmy and the Dick Brigade. <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. That's a it great name. It was their name. doo-wop band. That's what's a great <laughs> name for a band. Yeah. Uh, and they find out they're shorts. With what's in the armory and what's out in the walls, they're missing a Glock 9 and a 22, which are pretty insignificant guns, and I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. And he tells Olivia that she's been doing a shit job, and that this is a job that involves life and death, and she's going to have an accounting. He's right. Yeah, Keeping track yeah. of the guns, it is life and death. And, and, and Spencer's not a criminal mastermind. Right. <laughs> like, this is Carol sneaking chocolate out of the pantry levels of ineptitude, but that's who we yeah. know Olivia is. Ugh, Olivia. Uh, Rickton calls everyone to the to the church and gives the congregation a sermon on the sin of theft and thievery. Alexandrians openly ask, why do they care? Because it's just two guns and kind of little guns at that. Mm-hmm. And Rick says, look, you guys can either let someone die uh, or you can help us out. There is no way out of this. Uh, Aaron's boyfriend asks to say, okay, fine, what do we get the guns? But how are we going to get ourselves out of this? Rick says, there is no way out. This is our life from here on out. Right. So wherever you're hiding Maggie, bring her out. We got to give her up. No, <laughs> right. no, he doesn't say that. Clean. We're going to always hide Maggie. She's going to essentially be the Anne Frank of the compound <laughs> right. from this point forward. Uh, so I, I like the beginning shot of this because Rick takes a look at this bat at Lucille that he's been given, and I that's one of the things I like about this episode is 
giving Rick Lucille does a, a few things actually. It's it's a reminder a that he has to do it he's, as he's told, right? Or right. here's the consequence. Uh, it's also kind of a symbol to the rest of the people here in Alexandria that he is Negan, you know, in as much as anyone is Negan. Like, he is now complicit with Negan, and this is your leader, and you need to do as he tells you. And when he tells you to listen to me, uh-huh. you're going to do that. And some of this with Spencer kind of reinforces that, too, that, like, yeah, you can see Rick going down this road and being, like, a mini Negan or could have been a Negan in his own right. And, uh, and it also represents to the people that he got Abraham and Glenn killed. Right. I mean, that is a constant reminder to them as he totes this around the city. So I actually do like that they gave him the bat at the beginning, and only at the end of this episode do they give it back. Yeah, and I even like the fact that, like, if you look at these last two seasons as an overall arc, it's kind of it, it's fine to wonder, like, would have Rick's would Rick have turned into, like, Negan and the Saviors, saviors if he kept on going down that path. Yeah. Because he's kind of, I mean, that's what he did to the Hilltop. He kind of extorted them for protection money. And yeah, he and just couldn't deliver is the only problem. Right. If he had it delivered and then he met the Keenan, like, you know, does everyone keep paying Alexander tribute? Does Rick become kind of like this, like, you that's know. That's a good question, yeah. Uh, How often does he collect? What does he take? Right. And those, uh, those are fun. Those are fun, fun questions to ask for, too. And, you know, there's also the idea that's, you know, being thrown around in this episode about whether or not Rick actually got Abraham and Glenn killed. And mm. Rick questions it. Spencer obviously believes it. Right. Um, Michonne, I, I don't know where she stands. She's she's kind of weird she at the end of the fighting. episode here. Seems like. She does, yeah. But who knows if Rick's talk uh, swayed her. But I, I feel like Rick himself is wondering, like, did I get these people killed? Yeah. And it's not until, like, Shane's speech where I I start to understand that he maybe has accepted what is happening here. Right. Uh, you know, as partially his fault, sometimes you get people killed and it is your fault. Uh, Burdens of command, man. Yeah, and now I, I wonder if he feels any kind of relief giving up this command to Negan. Because now... He's not the guy who you can point the finger at and say, you're getting us killed. Yeah, and I guess the only thing that blunts the effectiveness of this is this happened in the prison arc, too, where he became Farmer Rick and right. abdicated all of his power to the ruling council until uh-huh. it's like, fuck it, you guys, I've had enough. I'm, I'm, it's, it's back to a rictatorship all over again. Mm-hmm. And this character, which, by the way, that rictatorship speech happened after the farm, so this is now the third time that he's gone through a cycle of king power and abdication of the throne. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> how many more times do we have to watch it? How many more seasons are we going to get, Jim? How many more guns are buried <laughs> in that grave? That's Who, what I want to know. That Maggie's grave is nothing but guns. Yeah. That's what you're going to find out. Uh, so the at this point in the episode, I was strongly suspecting either Carl or Enid had stolen the guns. Were you kind of there with me, or were you were you on Spencer all along, or did you think that... I wasn't on Spencer, no. Mm. Um, but I guess Rick's justification for being on Spencer later makes sense. You know, he's done this kind of thing before. He hid the bottle of booze. Right. Uh, he He's weak, mm-hmm. and his choice he's in weak, guns man. shows it. He's, right. he's pulling a tiny little <laughs> yeah. twenty two and a 9 millimeter. Come on. Yeah. There's a Desert Eagle to be had, man. Sure. There's a rocket launcher to There's be had. There's a fucking rocket Although launcher. Although I think, to be fair, even Olivia misses the rocket launcher. 
Yeah, she like, probably does. There's this giant rocket sh- launcher shaped <laughs> hole on the pegboard. Gee, uh-huh. I'm, there was something there. Maybe it was a 22. I don't know. I'm not a gun person. Uh, but anyway, Eugene then says, observes that not everyone is here, uh, which is, I think, a dig at, like, where the hell's Michonne? Where the hell is everybody? Yeah. There are nine people not here. Right. There's there's Any Tara, of them could have hidden the guns. Sure. Sure. Probably not Terran Heath because they left before the Negan kind of threat. <laughs> a lot like two years ago, I think they'd set off. Right. Maybe they took some guns with them. Yeah, they get they're they're hanging out with Tabitha in the woods, I think. Tara and Heath are missing as fuck. Rosita's gone, Spencer's <laughs> gone, Michonne's gone, Daryl's gone, Sasha, Maggie, like holy shit, there are a lot of missing people. Right. Uh, Rosita is stalking walkers, which we find out are later, uh, find out later are former saviors that they fought at the train yards before. Uh, Spencer fucks up her element of surprise by screaming her name behind her, and she has to take down numerous ex-savior zombies, including my favorite, zombie Ron Swanson. (laughs) Right. Uh, she takes them all out, and a particularly noteworthy one is the one at the end where she impales its face on a tree stump, I think? Yeah. Pretty gnarly. I was gonna ask you, zombie kill of the week, tree stump kill or the face slash at the beginning? I think the face bisecting, and like, it's like, like the, the cat scan... Like they got, they got all. It was the, pretty sweet. All the sinus cavities laid out. Uh, all the sweet bread there hanging out of a skull. What I thought about, that was pretty sweet. What about Negan with the candlestick at the end? That's pretty good too. He just kind of pulls that thing's face off towards yep. the ground. Yep, just gives him a lobotomy. Yeah, they're hmm. all pretty strong. I still think the bisected head is my favorite. But okay. reasonable people can disagree. We'll give it to that. Um, so. She's doing this to find a gun, and she finds one and finds that it's empty and is pissed. And she tries to explain to Spencer the reason this guy took our guns is because they're going to disarm us, and we need to have some kind of advantage. And she says she taunts him, saying, are you going to tell them? And uh-huh. then she says, this is not our life. And he says, you know what? There's like three or four other pages about what our life is <laughs> and how the world is out here, and I'm just, just going to walk away. I'm going to quit while, while I'm ahead. <laughs> yeah, and this- we thank him. Very weird. This is, uh, the scene just kind of, kind of wimped apart at the end. That's fine. I didn't want to see five minutes of them di- dialoguing about how their life has changed or how their life hasn't changed. But because this happens over and over I in the show. But like, what was Spencer's emotional state when he turned away from her? Was it anger? Was it frustration? Was it disgust? It seemed like. It was nothing. It literally seemed like the script says I spin on my heel and walk <laughs> in the other direction with a yeah. neutral look on my face. Like, what the fuck is going through his mind? I don't know. It's better than them just throwing back, this is our life. This ain't our life. No, this is our life now. <laughs> yep. Nope, ain't our life now. Like, every time a here's not here or a we ain't them starts to come up in this show, and they did it in this episode with this is not our life, Right. I roll my eyes because that is... Ah, this show does that so many it's times. It's a happy place. It's like where they like to go. I feel like they I, know. Have, I feel like they got a copy and paste thing where they can. It just, just feels like I can see the writers. I can see the writers on the screen writing this shit and nah, saying they got a they, they got a this ain't our life generator at this point. They just or press it, a button, yeah. right? It just it just you put in the characters, how many there are, what scene, what what is it, day night, or is it one of those crazy <laughs> night days or Might day be both. nights? Yeah. Uh, and then it just spits out the scene. And and there's probably like a bet behind the scenes. How many times can we stick this <laughs> phrase into an episode? Sure. And how many different characters can express 
this sentiment or the exact opposite of it. How many characters can assert the truth of something and another character just immediately comes back and argues that that truth is in fact wrong? Right. And not self-evident. They go to this well over and over and I hate it every time. Uh, so we then go back to Rick, who is tossing Spencer's place because he thinks that uh, he's got the guns. Father Gabriel bounces up and says, I just know this is going to work out, Rick, because we're friends and everything's cool. And get the fuck out of here, Father Gabriel. <laughs> everyone still hates you. Sorry, Seth, but everyone still hates your character, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he... I thought when they were in this church that Gabriel was going to be outside boarding the windows up. <laughs> I thought he was going to be shutting this operation down. And then he's going to be like, I've delivered them all to you, Negan. Right. Uh, it's just me now, and I'm as compliant as a fucking bowl of Play-Doh. So he uh, congratulates him for the quick thinking about the graves, which I don't understand where they're trying to go with this quick thinking on the graves, because Maggie ain't just some nondescript woman who... It, that who, who Negan doesn't know what it lo- looks like. She's a strikingly beautiful woman in, in the zombie apocalypse who was pregnant, probably still is. Mm-hmm. And she's at the hilltop, one of Negan's other outposts. Like, literally, unless they're going to just, you know, take her in a hay wagon to or fro in the dead of night, how do they expect us to work out and not have some kind of head bash situations beyond me? Yeah. But whatever, Father Gabriel believes, and I guess in a little way, so do I. Uh, and Rick then stumbles upon the gun, the food, the boo stash under a register at Spencer's house. And every as he picks, I, I liked how as he picks each one out, he just slams it down. Like, oh my he god, gets more and more games. Bang! Oh my, all oh, these fucking string beings. I could have used that in my casserole. Bang! What's this scotch? <laughs> god damn it! And like it just and he it's, loses his mind at the gun. Yeah, he just slams him down. It's hilarious. Yeah, he needs some new boots too. Did you get a good look at his boots? I bet you don't get a lot of new boots in the apocalypse. Why not? Yeah. There are boot outlets. <laughs> go, you're in the South, man. Go. Yeah, to, well, true. you were in the South. Go to the boot store. There are not a lot of boot stores in uh, in uh, Washington D.C. Yeah, not a lot not. of cowboy boots. Although you'd think with all the the Texas senators and all the Southern senators, they'd need some boots. I would. Th- yeah. You know, like John McCain probably could keep a bootery in in business <laughs> just by himself. Bootery. <laughs> Uh, also, Gotta have his boots, man. I find it weird that they are clinging to the idea the uh, of Deanna herself. Mm. Like they're they're describing this place as Deanna's house and Deanna's office, and like, and, and like isn't it all Spencer's now? Well, I, yeah, I, that's I, I think that's intentional that he's such a lightweight. It's still Deanna's <laughs> place because I, I noticed that too. Like her architectural roles and uh-huh. Reg's designs for the role and Barley equals intellect was all just you know rolled up and, and stored in these. What do you? I mean, I, I've seen yeah baskets of blueprints and shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, your 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 mom's still looming over. Her shadow is bigger than yours is, oh, Spencer. Yeah. Um, so he goes out and wait. I've I've lost where I'm at in my notes. Um, oh yes. So there's this creepy guy to coast Enid on account of her green balloons, and he won't give it back to her until she says please twice. And he, then he says, "Be careful, little girl." He says, "Little girl" about twelve times. And it's super creepy, and I'm wondering, where is Negan on this shit? Like, he's all, hey, we don't treat people like this unless they do. What the fuck has Enid done? Right. Other than being a sullen teenager. Maybe I just answered my own question. Uh, Negan wants to know which of the people to hit the gun, and Rick tries to minimize it, and he's like, nope, you need to get everybody on board, or we go back to square one. And then I, I did like the way they composed a shot where they're shooting it from inside the weapons van, and you can just see it's fucking crammed, yeah, full of heavy artillery, like all the things that Rick is giving up. And you you got to really think like 
how are they going to win? Like, there was mm-hmm. a conventional, okay, lay low, then rebel. He's taking all their fucking guns, man. Yeah. He's got the numbers and the guns. Mm-hmm. So what do you do now? Get really good at bow and arrow? Maybe. I mean, I they have fought those wars before. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert, guns win. Yeah. Guns win over bows and arrows every time. I don't know, and I guess that's why it's an interesting dilemma for the town is because Negan is more powerful than them. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about pure might here, there's no contest. No. There wasn't any, and now it's even less so. Yeah. Uh, Rick is escorting Negan to the front gates where they're going to say goodbye, but he spies Michonne in the building, and for whatever reason... oh. I, I guess the reason is he wanted to get the gun that he knew Michonne had and give it to Negan as an olive branch, right? Yeah, yeah. But why does he ask for the second? And more importantly, why does Negan let him have it? Because he says please. I mean, that seems to be... That's literally the magic word, please and thank you, or with yeah. what, what Negan wants yeah. to hear out of people? He wants some respect, I guess. I I don't know. It's, it's weird that a couple of times this episode he says initially no and then essentially well go ask your mother see what she has to say like that's okay. not that's not great parenting it's certainly no way to run a post-apocalyptic warlord ship i wouldn't mm. think yeah uh so anyway I and mean, that's the thing is like jeffrey dean morgan who i like playing this character he's got this insufferable smirk as he's letting rick get his way and something i get is very small but still smirk all you want rick just got the upper hand for just a little bit right well, I... no, because he allowed him to do it. And I think that's what Negan gets off on is the power. Like, he had to ask him if he could yeah. go talk to... He likes his... being the gatekeeper? Uh, sure. Okay. Gatekeeper? Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I was thinking about the procedure of all of this in uh-huh. in this scene and kind of how... I assume this won't be the procedure going forward. Like you show, you roll up with a large force. Negan himself comes in, and they ransack the town because we've seen the other colonies don't have that arrangement, right? right? Like, right. I mean, Ezekiel's meeting them out in some random location and just trading stuff on trucks, right? So I don't know what this looks like going forward. Maybe if there's a problem, Negan shows up personally, but right. He may not be back for a while. Yeah, he wanted to go in this one because it was a show of force. Yeah. It was the first time. So he wanted to wave Lucille around and, and, and slide his dick in Rick's throat. Right. Which he accomplishes. So he goes and explains to Michonne about, you know, the fact he's been carrying Lucille around all day and that he needs a rifle because, you know, he, he this is the way it's got to be. And... um. He says, look, I'm not losing anybody else. I'm giving this rifle to me to them. Are you going to let me? Which I thought was a good way to play it with Michonne. Because it's not like, you know, Rick's unarmed. She's got the katana and the rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't take shit from her. No. So uh, she acquies- uh, acquiesces. Uh, Negan says, this is a way to read the room and get the message by giving up this gun. And he goes, just said it once, said it before. You, sir, are special. Uh Rick then says, since we follow the rules, real good, sir, can we uh, can Daryl stay the night? And he says, Daryl says, compl- where would he sleep? Right. You have no bed, yeah, no mattresses. I mean, he'll be more on. comfortable at my place. Think of Daryl's comfort. <laughs> would you, Rick? You prick. And he says, well, maybe Daryl complete his case. And Daryl doesn't say a damn thing. Yep. Good for you, Daryl. Yep. And he says, look, uh, you need to go earn for me. If I come back and you don't have anything interesting, like a radio or something, I don't know, just spitballing <laughs> here, 
Lucille is going to crack another one of your nuts open. Yep. And also no more magic bug guns. And then he steals uh, Michonne's deer, uh, which goes back on his promise not to give, not to, not to take any food. Right. And taunts Rick about, uh, or a couple more times. We then switch to Dwight taunting Rosita, giving her hat back. And he says, I took all your guns and most of your beds. Uh, and then Rosita gets a good smack back on him when he says, did you find anything else out there? And he goes, just your dead friends that we killed mm-hmm. with our guns that you just took. <laughs> right. And uh, that's it. He says, you want me to get out of here? You got to say the two magic words. Thank you. Uh, Negan beats another zombie's head in with a candlestick for why did he use the candlestick? Because uh, he wanted to have this moment where he goes, oh, oh, you didn't think I was leaving without Lucille, did you? Uh, I guess he planned this out. Like, he, do you think he like workshopped this? Like he practiced yeah. it. They're like, okay, you're going to be Rick. He's like, you know, just practicing like a presidential debate. I want uh, you to be Rick, and I want you to play it like really fucking stiff prick. And now I want you to play Toady. And now, and he's like, he had the whole candle candlestick scenario going. I don't know. Yep. Uh, he gets Lucille back from uh, Rick, and then tells him he you just sucked my dick and said thank you. And Rick sees the true face of horror of a man who's been emasculated in front of another man. Negan takes off, runs over a zombie, and crushes its head. Yeah. Anything to say cool. about this scene? Uh, the I candlestick mean, th- did, did do violence to that zombie. It yeah, it was shocking. pretty cool. Um, I So I talked earlier about you know how Rick kind of looks at Negan and is thinking about bashing him with Lucille uh, and maybe, I don't know, trying to usurp his power or something. But And how they were kind of trying to show us that he's going to rebel by having him do this while his back is turned. Uh, he also looks up at this sign at the Alexandria safe zone there, and it says vengeance for plunderers at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yet another hint that maybe Rick is not totally cowed. Right. It is still the official policy. Or maybe they're using it in the most ironic way, which is you just let all this happen, Rick, and there's your slogan up there. Mm. Good job, buddy. And vengeance for plunger, plunderers, maybe if you, right, you not can a pawn. Interp- yeah, you yeah. Can, you can interpret that as like it's you know, yeah. Uh, so Rick then confronts Spencer and like, yo, man, you were hiding guns and booze and food, and he does the classic he caught with his uh, hand in a cookie jar response of you, you searched my house, right? Like, uh, what's all these receipts for horrors in your mailbox? What you went through my email? Like, <laughs> right. uh, okay. Yeah, that's a point, but I think we're way past that argument at this point. And Rick, I like Rick's spawns like, look, I'm not faulting you for keeping the guns. That's a smart move. But hoarding liquor and food, that, that just makes you soft and weak. Mm-hmm. And Spencer tries to crack back with Abraham and Glenn, and he says, I'm going to knock your teeth out and break your jaw if you ever say anything like that to me again. Yep. That's straight out of the Negan playbook, yeah? I'm going to bite your dick, I'll bite your <laughs> nose, I'll rip your throat out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all of those things will happen. Your neck, your back, your pussy, and your crack. I'm gonna bite it all. And yeah, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting too because like he's taking his own frustrations and his own powerlessness out on Spencer in this moment. You can see it. I mean, he feels like the bigger man, or, or you know, not the bigger man in the sense of like he's a better person, but like right. he's a, a a tougher guy. Than Spencer here, whereas he was just dominated by Negan. Well, and also the show, the show's kind of schizophrenic, and so is the comics a little bit, and that it wants us to believe that 
this is a bad way to wield power when Negan's doing it. But also, time and time again, they've shown it to be the only effective way to wield power post-apocalyptically. Ah, uh, yeah. So, like, eventually the show's going to have to turn the corner and show that, like, the good and, and decent way can win out long term. Yeah, there needs to be some balance. I mean, it's, Because it seems like every time Rick's back, back against a wall, he Negan's his way out of it. And then when yeah. the crisis is over... Okay, well, we don't have to do all the dict- dictatorial shit anymore mm-hmm. until the next crisis. So, right. like, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know what that, uh, what what kind of worldview that is, and I don't know if I want to hear fi- fifteen minutes of solilo- soliloquy on it. Um, so Rosita then jumps Rick, or no, jumps Spencer, and is incredibly pissed off that he knew he had guns and ammo and didn't think to tell her, mm-hmm. and. He throws back, well, I didn't trust Rick, and you're right, this doesn't have to be our life. And she's like, whatever. This old thing again. And retrieves her gun from the wheel well of the car. I don't want Rosita to fall in love with Spencer. Like, I know that I they had, like, a little side piece thing going on. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you th- I think Rosita's in serious trouble. What about Spencer? Do you think what Spencer's going to straighten up and fly right? Or is he going to continue to antagonize both Negan and Rick and get yeah. himself killed? Spencer's going to get killed. Rosita's going to get killed. Yeah. I think they're the next two to go because, I mean, Rosita's looking to kill Negan. Yeah. This bullet that she wants made, that is an assassination bullet. Do you think for she Negan. cares what would happen to the Alexander Saves? Nope. So she's in, like, fuck it. Yep. This guy just needs to die. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think there's any way that she's going to find something to care about in the town enough that she's going to go. I mean, what is her uh, arc at this point? Maybe. Because you're right. If she's just a, a suicide bomber at this point, something would have to make her give a shit about the people that she's going to be hurting to, to steer her off that course. Right. Because she's capable of, I mean, she's fully capable of doing it. Yeah. So. Or, or you know, it does, her plan just doesn't work out and Negan gets the upper hand and kills her first or something. Yeah, or Spencer fucks it up like he did in this episode. <laughs> right, she's sneaking up right behind <laughs> right. Uh, Negan. Rosita, Rosita, what are you what are you doing behind him <laughs> with that gun and that single bullet? <laughs> <laughs> you only got the one shot. Uh, <laughs> so Rick is busy up in his bedroom deploying sleeping bags and blankets where their bed used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michonne shows up and is like, "What the fuck? Life isn't worth living anymore," and blows her head off. Uh, she says, "Look, what." That rifle was one of theirs. We know they didn't keep track of it. That was a completely untraceable gun. It had its serial numbers filed off. It wasn't in the FBI's database. I bought it at a gun show. Why did you make me give it up, Rick? Why? Why? And he says, look, um, we just don't have enough people, even with the hilltop. Um, Mm -hmm. They still have the numbers. And Michonne says, well, what if there's a third community out there, huh? What if yeah. there's a third one? What if they have tigers? What if they have a tiger and knights <laughs> and shit? Yeah. And body armor. Does that influence the, the numbers any? Uh, and he says, look, we get some kind of life. And he tells her the story of Shane. I thought this was a pretty effective scene. He says, this is how we live now. Right. He once again reiterates. He's wanting a threesome with Michonne. Is that what he's trying to explain with the Shane story? I mean, yeah, it might when be. Morgan comes back, I just, you know, just want to float an offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could uh, be. But yeah, he tells the story of Shane, which I thought was effective because the show kind of pretends yeah. that Shane doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and for good reason. It makes perfect sense the way Rick lays it out here. But but as a result of that, when they finally do talk about talk about him, I think it's pretty effective. Yeah, I'm with you. And he also she tries to 
he essentially says, like, look, I've gotten used to accepting intolerable situations because that's what you got to do to survive. And that's what we have to do now to survive and have this kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, look, you can't blame yourself for all these deaths. And he rightly points out, it's like, yeah, not all of them, but some of them are my fault. Yep. And we all have to accept this, you, me included, or it won't work. And she says... She's going to try. No promises, but she's going to try. I thought this was one of the best scenes in the episode. Yeah. No, it was it was pretty solid. Um, Takes advantage of the fact that, uh, you know, Andrew and Denai have, like, really off-the-charts chemistry and a good rapport with each other. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, 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 bought, I bought this version of Rick. I did, too. And I thought this version of Rick should have been a tad more desperate with Negan. Uh, you know, yeah. not to harp on this again, but like this, this guy here, um, I, I wish they'd played it closer to that like level of cautiousness, but whatever. I do like where it places Michonne kind of between collaborator collaborators and the resistance here. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, she wants to be part of the resistance, but for Rick's sake and for the sake of the community, she's going to try to get along with the collaborators. Well, here. she's got. Uh, this is a great scene because both of the people have great arguments. Like she yeah. says, everything we've got, we've got from fighting. That's absolutely true. Sure, but then everything that Rick says is true too. Like yeah. it's it's a matter of what you're prepared to give up. Michonne would still is is not afraid to lose things. Rick has gotten down like, well, there is nothing that I'm willing to lose anymore. And, I mean, we've seen Michonne go from someone who only knows how to survive right. uh, when she shows up at the prison to someone who now can kind of clearly see when the fighting needs to happen and when it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and you know, Rick has been a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Them, those two together, they, they tend to balance each other out pretty well. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's what it was, it was all about last season. They didn't need to fight. She put her sword away. Um, now they kind of need to fight, or or at least she thinks that's what they need until Rick explains uh, a little bit of the situation here. But I, I don't know. I, I really like them together still, and they're they're one of the stronger parts of the show. Uh, so half of the stronger part of the show goes off to the Jeep Fields once more mm-hmm. with no gun, still carrying the giant tote bag, which I wondered, what's up with that? Yeah, is she out there to just think? But why the tote bag? It made sense when she's hauling that big ass rifle around, but right. now it's like, what is she hoping to get out there? I don't know. Uh, and it looks like she starts to meditate, but then she notices something or smells something. Turns out there is just a shit ton. There's a just giant pile of mattresses that Negan has set on fire at the side of the road just outside of town. So what? And she gets enraged. Why is she so pissed about this? Because it's... They just took all your guns. They were going to take the mattresses. I know. It's a fuck you. Like, we it don't is. need that's, these That's mattresses. what it is. It's just But who fuck. cares? It's, it's senseless. It's just another senseless act. All of it is senseless. Who cares? <laughs> the mattresses don't need to be the final straw here. I, I, okay. I guess I'm willing to cut the episode some slack because I think what we're supposed to understand here is that she was going to give this Zen shit a real shot. Mm -hmm. And this is another fresh insult. And maybe this is Negan's core problem that he's like, he's, this has worked with every other community, but this particular community, you just are pissing them off and they're going to eventually find a way to beat, beat them. I, I, I think her defiance is supposed to be, Something that we kind of pump our fists and be like, yeah, at home. Right. And I don't, the fact that we're not doing that, 
<laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, I want them to resist. I do. I, do, I just. Right. I don't know just... why the mattresses are the thing that sets her off. Well, here's the thing: they've successfully convinced me of the hopelessness of the situation. So why I want them to resist? I think the best way to resist is to lay low. Mm-hmm. Lay low. Formulate some plans. Learn more about the world you're living in, and then you can do something. But right now, it's like. They want to have their cake and eat it, too. They want to be defiant, and they want to be proud, and they want to... Uh, but they also want to be scared to death that Negan's going to beat one of their friends' heads in. And those are two yeah. affects that do not mix. They're not peanut butter and chocolate. They're opposite mental and emotional states. Right. Um, and it's it's tough to see them kind of, you know... And it, I guess it's... One way you could do it is the way they are, which is to go and shift different perspectives so that, like, everyone's on a different side of the continuum. Like, Rick's right now just wanting everyone to get along. Michonne's not quite there yet. Carl's not quite there yet. Spencer's a fucking douchebag. Fart in the wind. Who knows what's up with him? Rosita seems to be the biggest rebeller of all. So Rosita's actually trying to take some action. Yeah. Uh, she finds an empty bullet casing, goes to Eugene. We remember from last year that Eugene had the bright idea that he could maybe manufacture ammo. Uh-huh. And she says, make me a bullet. I hope it's the same caliber as the Desert Eagle. <laughs> I hope her gun is the same caliber. I'm sure in Alexander you could find casings for just about anything if you looked if you looked hard enough because, my God, there's been a lot of guns ba- gun battles there. And they don't have a janitorial have, service. Yeah, that's true. Like you want a forty-five, you want a thirty-eight, you want fifty caliber. Like it, it's all going to be there. Uh, I actually like this end a lot. I thought this this was the effect of kind of like Rosita going and saying and, and kind of bringing Eugene, who is a fearful coward, into this conspiracy. I thought was genuinely interesting. So and yeah. I thought it was it was the way they shot it and the music and and you know. This this is the promise of resistance to come, and I like it. I think we needed it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the episode, man. I do wonder what this would have been like as a 60-minute episode rather than a 90, because it did feel like there's a bit of fat. I thought so, And, and yeah. already that's a problem when you have a singular focus, but, boy, when you got a singular focus, you want to make it as the, the leanest, most interesting story that you can, and I think they failed to do that. Yeah, why – why give this 90 minutes in the middle of a season? I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what they're trying to do with that. I, I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, cynical part of me wants to say sell more advertising, but I don't know. Hey, before we get to the feedback, I want to give everyone an update on the save.baldmove.com. Uh, less than a week into it, we did it. We raised all the funds we needed to to essentially guarantee that Bald Move will stay in business throughout 2017 and most likely, unless we really fuck things up beyond, and I don't intend mm-hmm. to do that. Do you, Jim? Is that on your twenty seventeen? I thought about it. List? I really considered just Fuck fucking it up, really. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you reconsidered. <laughs> uh, because these, these fine people were so generous to their support. We actually shot over our uh, fundraising goal. We're at uh, almost $34,000 now out of twenty five that we're trying to collect to keep us in business. You can see the details and how this money is actually going to fund Bald Move. We did another video kind of showing how that changes the the math and, um, you know, obviously giving us a lot of uh, our heartfelt thanks. But since we did save Bald Move, again, you can go to save.baldmove.com if you want to see the the epilogue video for that and the thank you video. Uh, But it's time to shift back into just uh, plain old uh, support mode. Yeah. Uh, And you can go to support.baldmove.com. There's a variety of ways you can do that. You can join the club. Uh, you can purchase merchandise or podcast commissions, and you can straight up donate cash. 
cold hard American currency or euros or troy or ounces of silver if you troy. want so, some uh, during this uh, quote unquote crisis a bald move listener was moved to send us 13 ounces of of, of pure silver yeah uh, so that was cool uh, it was an interesting day for our mail uh, we got like what, what felt like a lead brick sent to us but mm-hmm. uh, it was actually precious materials and not lead uh, so there's a variety of ways you can do it. Uh, go to support.baldmove.com. If supporting independent podcasting is something you'd value, you get things in return, ad-free feeds, special uh, club member-only productions and videos and, and uh, uh, podcast content and uh, VIP section of the forums. It's not all a, a gimme, 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 gimme. Uh, but you can go to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can continue to make sure Bald Move uh, is is running and independent into the future. And again, thank you so much yeah. for everyone who did respond to our drive. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, us being in business in 2017 is due to a large part your guys' help. So thank you very much. Anyway, should we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We start... I also have a lot to say in the spoiler section. I don't know if we got any spoiler okay. mail, but I do. do we do. Do promise a robust spoiler section. Okay. We start off feedback with Lainey says, first, can we all admit that Deanna was the worst leader for a community? Since her death, we've seen communities around just as long, if not more than Alexandria, and they're all thriving, growing crops, making tools, herding cattle and pigs, giving out sonogram pictures and having choir rehearsals. (laughs) Alexandria didn't even have a movie night and they have solar energy on their side. I think it's safe to say that the Alexandria Safe Zone was a community built strictly for that top 1% who planned on living off the backs of the middle class as they did before the outbreak. Yeah, it's a cultural wasteland. Yeah. And now communities like Hilltop, the Kingdom, and the Sanctuary are all comprised of individuals that were considered lower or lower middle class in the past modern world. But here's my question. During the conversation between Dwight and his Tag Your It buddy... It sounded as though the sanctuary was similar to Alexandria until Negan came and took it over. And according to Dwight's friend, they willingly gave it over to Negan. So are we uh, about to do a deep analysis and comparison of Rick and Negan? Because the only difference I see is that Rick still has both his children, whereas Negan has no children or family. Uh, The fact that Negan, the governor, claimers have no real attachments to anybody in this world allows them to be angry and lash out at whomever they want for whatever they want whereas rick has two solid reasons carl and judith to make an effort to retain a sliver of humanity yeah no i think that's that's interesting up to a point sure because that is an interesting comparing and contrast i don't know something that you can you can hang a whole season around much less multiple seasons mm-hmm. but yeah like it's uh that's a that's a great question one we've been asking on the podcast like what is the essential difference between rick and negan yeah, and if it's just that you know Negan, the Rick still got things to lose that he's afraid of. Well, that uh, I don't know, but I, also I don't know what that says instructive either. What do you mean? Like, I mean that's a pretty well worn hobby horse that you know. Oh, when you push a man or woman <laughs> right. to where they have nothing left, that's when they're the most dangerous. Yeah, so it's Rosita. With it's when it's cornered, that's when they're the most dangerous. Like that's mm-hmm. you know I I and, and the other thing is. Comparing Rick to Negan has happened several times already. Like mm-hmm. we had Rick to the governor and Rick to lots. Right. Of, I mean, like anytime you got a big bad villain, it's it's always like, oh, what's you know, what's the difference between you and me? You know, the fact that you got a cute kid and 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 the sixteen year old the mop top. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Okay, moving on to Josh E. He says, I've got a question regarding Walking Dead reviews. 
Do you ever feel that reviewers or people in general can be a bit too harsh? Believe me, I get the show isn't perfect, but I think it's leaps and bounds above many shows out there. Cringeworthy CW shows like The 100 and Once Upon a Time have god-awful acting and the most heavy-handed storytelling I've ever seen, and they consistently get better ratings than The Walking Dead. Do you think this show is unfairly criticized in comparison? Well, so the fact is that they are broadcasting on the home of Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Yeah. And that's how AMC, like, no one gave a shit about AMC when they were just, you know, the, the movie channel that showed a bunch of old colorized movies or whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, that's more of a Turner classic, but whatever. Um, Mad Men and Breaking Bad put them on the map. Mad Men and, Break- and Breaking Bad were boutique, very highly regarded, award-winning dramas in the top, probably consensus top five, Mount Rushmore of television and a lot of what AMC does is positions Walking Dead in that same space. Right. If The Walking Dead is on, you know, the CW and it had a significantly less budget and a, lower, a smaller audience, people... I mean, no one goes after the f- fucking Flash because the Flash is not pretentious about what it's trying to do. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, you know, kicking kicking a community theater for not being professional, you know, like, professional enough. Like, sure. you got lighting and sound issues, man. Like, well, fuck you. <laughs> um and I think that's The Walking Dead's problem is there's still people like, you know, most of the serious, quote unquote, reviewers do not cover those smaller CW shows. They let the fan right. sites do it. And slowly but surely, all of the professional reviewers are kind of giving up on The Walking Dead. And the ones that haven't are kind of still like writing articles from this viewpoint of, boy, I still see the glimpses of what the show could be. And I just think that, like, it, I don't understand why it does. And that's something we say a lot on our show, too. Like, it's not immediately obvious why they don't decide to make this thing Emmy-worthy. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm with you. As long as that's the case where it's like, oh, it's so close to be – It's it. you can't – It's it's not – a tier but it's decidedly better than b tier so like it kind of needs to decide which one it wants to be and right. or, or else you're always it's always going to be you know trying to raise its its exposure above to a level to where serious critic uh, professional critics take it take notice of it and then it's found wanting it smacked down like yeah, it does feel know. like it's an in-betweener the production on this show and I'm I'm not talking necessarily about producers themselves or or anything like that or i'm talking about like writing and direct like all of it combined the production of this show feels like it's not quite up to snuff with what the critics who are used to reviewing these bigger shows are used to seeing and like in some ways walking dead is a victim of its own success critically Mm. because it is an enormous show it is like the biggest show on tv so if, if if you believe the numbers of people downloading it versus like an HBO Game of Thrones thing. Right. This this very well could be the biggest show on television right now. And just just for that fact it's going to be judged more harshly. Mm-hmm. I mean people pe- the, some people have a vendetta against it. I'm sure like critics look at it and say how can this show be getting so many viewers it's a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh and they write those reviews based on their kind of reactionary feelings. Mhm. Sometimes. Now, the better reviewers or the better critics, I would say, don't do that. But the show is so big, and they're not they're not making it feel like one of those big shows, like you said. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just gonna. There's some disparity there where critics are gonna pan it because it's not. It's a little too big for its britches. Right. 
Yeah, and you know it's also got big name talent, you know, attached to it. Um, that too. You yeah. got you know uh, veterans from The Wire and from you know classically trained British actors, and right? People from big big budget movies that are on this show. So that raises a profile too. Yeah. All right, Jan Silva says on a podcast this season we've talked about how Robert Kirkman loves to fuck with people and troll them. Rick being in a coma was a prominent theory in the fandom until Kirkman denied that he would ever go with that ending, which that sounds like a terrible ending. Oh, God, yeah. He was all a coma. It was all all in his mind. Yeah. Uh, This was a bit I found in an article. Despite the uh, constant pestering, Kirkman refuses to divulge the future of the story to Gimple and company. There's a quote from Kirkman. They're kind of 100% in the dark, which I guess is pretty remarkable. He's talking about the... Uh, like Gimple and all the writers and stuff. Why would it be remarkable? Because he's it, the the full story is only in his head, so right? He, but it's like if George Martin had not given the end of the story to. Oh, okay. I thought he was saying D's. like it's remarkable that I haven't spoiled the damn thing because I'm <laughs> no, a fucking no, no. crazy person. I'm a loose cannon out here. <laughs> it's no, it's remarkable that they will let him get away with not giving them the ending. Okay. Uh, and I would probably say it's testament to the trust that AMC has in me. I mean, I guess to a certain extent at this point. The comic book is kind of a workshop of future seasons of the show, and it's fun to think that I can just completely torpedo the story if I wanted to. Yeah, fine. Uh, Jan goes goes on, it would be a huge downer if this is the ending uh, he decided to go with, mainly because it feels like a short story someone in middle school would write. Anyway, what do you guys think? Is he trolling, or could this be a legit ending to the series? I So I realize that I'm tossing out pure troll bait mm-hmm. to a man who has proven he loves to troll mm-hmm. his audience. Right. But there is no fucking way he would end the story that way. Right? I don't say there's no fucking way because, like, I've been wrong in recent memory about a right. But past we both about a agree. Lot of I thought were sure things. This would be so much bullshit, right? It would. Like, honestly, okay. you, I, I, I would never watch anything he did again, just on general pro, general principle, right? Like, I just be like, okay, well, I guess I'm, you know, going <laughs> to give up Outcast and uh, everything else I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like that's you just can't do that. Like, they've done that. Like, the jury's in on that. That's, like, some really bullshit 80s soap opera shit. You right. can't do it. You can't do it. It it affects your legacy, man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the end of this story actually is. I don't know that he even has an ending in his mind. I don't think so. He does either. Uh, I think he's going to keep writing this until maybe until the show is no longer popular. And then I don't know how they're going to At one point I heard that there was, there, he had, like, a 200-episode a run in mind. But I feel for, like for the show, no, for the, the comic. comics, they're in the one sixties. So that's less than um, that's less than four years of of content, almost three. Yeah, so. I mean they do have a lot of stuff to get through uh, in the show, certainly. Yeah, and I just I'm, wonder I'm, how I'm much about steam. Four issues behind, so right, like how much steam can this show maintain? Can it make it all the way to two hundred? I mean, it's got a lot of audience. It does. And they don't spend any money on it. Like, that's the thing. They're spending, right. they're spending on this show like it's only getting four to five million people watching it. And they're yeah. Getting... So, uh, you know, if Walking Dead, if Walking Dead ever, ever dips below four or five million, then you uh-huh. could start to worry about its long term future. But for right now, it feels like they have, I, I don't know how, that's the thing. That stuff can turn in a minute. Like, you know, it can be a hit show and just lose half its audience like right. two consecutive years in a row, and you could be there in a flash. Yeah. And then what's the plan there? That's what I mean. Like seven more years of this seems like it's a not. Lot. It's not. Get, it's not a critical darling. 
No. So like once all. the ratings go, you got to think AMC. Like does it? Does AMC love this show? Does AMC feel any affinity for its fans? Does it feel like they owe? Like like if The Walking Dead gets to that point, do they put pressure on Kirkman to to, to end it, or do they like okay, we'll give you another season or two? For right. old time's sake, to 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 wrap things up. I I mean that is well within their wheelhouse. They did that with Halt and Catch Fire for the past two seasons. I would also think that at some point Kirkman's got to get tired of this universe and this story, and he wants to finish it as well. I would think so. Like you know that some of these things just need to to end. Mm-hmm. So I and and you, we've already talked about like last week. It, I it, it kind of scared me when we started talking about this show and the actors wanting to get out and all that. Like, I'm like, man, if you lose Andrew Lincoln and Norman Reedus yeah. and if Carl goes to college, like what do you got left? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to build a, you're going to build a show around father Gabriel. <laughs> God, I, I, not. I, I don't think so. <laughs> Every week, a new church just <laughs> devastated. Yep. All right. Yep. Dan from how Philly. long does he get? That's the, how long does he get into the episode before he starts nailing the window shut? <laughs> <laughs> Dan from Philly says this is without a doubt the poorest written show with 15 million viewers ever really actually having a correct uh, inventory and all of your weapons including a rocket launcher together and ready to be given away besides the fact that Carol Morgan Nicholas and even the wolves stole guns so yeah it makes perfect sense the woman guarding the armory in a garage can be expected to suddenly become a competent accountant but wait I don't think that's too much to ask that they have a inventory of their guns and yes when right. they get raided they go over and see what's stolen and then you write that out of your inventory but uh-huh. like that's that is a I feel like that is a basic rule of the post-apocalyptic society you gotta keep track of that shit now whether Olivia yeah. does a great job at it or not I mean obviously Spencer stole from her but yeah I mean he's kind of questioning like how also the that the saviors might somehow miraculously find a buried cache of weapons if they were to just bury them and not uh, turn them all over. How would that happen? I mean, there are many ways would, that could but, happen. But I felt like Rick articulated that. It's like, look, okay, so what? We 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 hide the guns. Right, for years. If we ever use them and we get spotted using them, people are going to die. Yeah. So, like, what is the benefit? What is the upside for keeping these guns? I mean... Yeah, or, or I mean, every time they go to retrieve them or bury another or something, they run the risk of being followed, being right. spotted. I mean, we know that the saviors outsmarted them on the road sure. not too long ago. So yep. that's fresh in Rick's memory. Yeah, I'm with you. Aaron D says Spencer is that guy who always fucking complains about how things are being done and about the people in leadership, but never wants to do anything himself or develop any thoughts into action. He wanted to make a deal with them, but wouldn't that deal have involved them turning over their supplies as well? Also, Rosita is now every girl who is super capable, but for some dramatic writer reason, she has to be paired with a waste of human space. (laughs) Oh, I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. Every year I wish Walking Dead can continue to grow female characters, but every year they grow Carol and Michonne only and call it done. I thought Rosita has some interesting developments here. Like, whether you like her pairing up with Eugene or not, like, the fact that she is the lone face of the Resistance is kind of cool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, say what you want about Tara. I do think they made Tara... Uh, brought Tara around for me. Love Denise. That's the big big thing that I am kind of the the what-the-fuck now is, you know, Denise got given Abraham's death in the comics. Just okay. to turn around and a few episodes later beat Abraham's brains in. So 
it really feels like Denise's death was just a way to distract from the madness of the Glen or to to, to, to balance that in writers. I don't know. I, I hmm. still am smarting over Denise because I thought they really developed that character. Uh, and then she died. So shit. And we still haven't dealt with the aftermath of that death. No. And it's now really. been like eight months. No, and I don't think you ever will until Tara comes back. Right. And then it's going to feel real weird because everyone else has been further traumatized and like, Denise who? Oh, yeah. right. Right. Her. Oh, we had a doctor yeah. at some point. We had a yeah. proto-doctor, yeah. Josh L. says, this fucking show, the quality is all over the place. If I had to listen to Negan say, that's something I just can't abide one more time, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. He, no, says he, doesn't, that, he would say, that's something I just can't abide. As he's doing that weird bouncing up and yeah, down and thing. He also almost looks like he's perpetually about to fall over backwards. Yeah, no, yeah. Like he's, his, his very top heavy or something? He's doing a little bit of a low-rent Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean, just kind of careening <laughs> uh-huh. unsteadily on his feet and being loosey-goosey. And it worked in the first few meetings, it's just, but it, it's, it's going to get old. It's just a character full of ticks, right? And yeah. you don't that, – that they're really cool, but when you see it for 90 minutes, unblinking, not turning away, you start noticing like – these are the things that, that that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is doing to convey intensity. Right. And it's kind of a limited bag of tricks. And when you see it for the sixth time in the same episode, it's like, okay, I get it. He's he's doing that little bouncy, sing-songy thing. And Yeah, Josh agrees with you. It's funny that you mentioned ticks because he says it was chilling the first time, but now it just seems like it might be a Tourette's tick. <laughs> right. Having Negan threaten someone with every line takes away the meaning. Right. Uh, also, these 90-minute episodes are always annoying. They'll have about 10 minutes of interesting story, 40 minutes of other story, and 40 minutes of AT&T commercials. <laughs> You're not wrong. It does feel like the commercial grow, the commercials grow at the screen time at like a two-to-one rate. Yeah. It's like it's not – when you got a 90-minute episode, it's not like you got like an eight, 75 minutes of show. You got like 60 minutes of show and 30 minutes of commercial. Yeah. Which is more than I think the 45-15 split you usually get, so – that's the it thing. Is, like, yeah. it, and I, I felt that with Mister all of them. It seems like you get a ninety minute episode. Like, oh boy, you get more filler than you do actual content. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does have some good things to say here. He he did a quick good, bad, and ugly. But I'm going to go with the good. Yeah, for uh, some much needed refreshment. Uh, the camera work. They did some amazing shots this episode. Seriously, the distance between Rick and Michonne in bed, how they framed Rick and Michonne in that house, the gap between them broken by the turn in the wall to show the divide between them. Uh, the two headless walker corpses Negan left on their doorstep, serving as a grim reminder to Rick. Mm. Uh, I missed that. I no, missed yeah, that entirely. He did. he did. He killed two of them. And I think that's uh, when he says, watch my form, and it kind of triggered Rick, like the fact that he was going to do exactly what he did to like Glenn and Abraham. And mm-hmm. That's what I think made him tighten up on Lucille. Like it wasn't so yeah. much thinking this was it. he was just re- just really angry that be, uh, the being reminded and and being forced to thank uh-huh. him for something that like oh you killed two walkers like thank right. you you've kept us safe I, I don't know yeah uh, also Andrew Lincoln's acting which we've talked about and praised before sure uh, Negan's reaction to Gabriel holy shit you are creepy mm-hmm. and Rick opening up about Shane and Rick's. Um, you're small, you are weak to Spencer. What are you talking about there? Rick might, had, opening might, up. Uh, okay, I, I mix those two. Rick might, opening might have, up about had a Shane. Faulty cotton paste there. Yeah. 
Uh, great writing, tight, concise, evocative. Yeah, I, I agree with most of those uh, positive things. Yeah, that's the thing. This this episode had a lot of good stuff. I just openly questioned what it had been like with 60 minutes instead of 90. And also, yeah. you know, I we, we, we need to come up with an acronym that we can just say that is shorthand for, boy, if this thing did a multi-threaded storyline instead of the single focus, it would be so much better. Yeah, they're almost making fools out of us in the same way that we think they're failing mm-hmm. with this repetitive writing because we constantly say the same things. Right. Because how we have to point out when these things happen. But it's like I said, it, it's, it's, it's failures on multiple levels, and it's all the same cause. Like, right. It's, it's like, you know... Eating a gallon of vanilla ice cream versus versus a gallon of Neapolitan, uh, like at yeah. least you break the monotony. It's the same thing, but you, you you're not having to sit. So there, there. That's a little the Negan fatigue. I don't think that's real so much as it's just eating the gallon of fucking vanilla ice cream. Yeah, Dwight's character is being done real violence. I think. Mm-hmm. Because they're trying to make this character like the glimmers of sympathy, and they immediately extinguish it by being having him be this incredible, outrageous asshole in this episode. That's like the chocolate vanilla swirl, except it all melted. Right. And and now it's just a pool of mush. Right, and we've already talked about like when D- Tara comes back, it's going to be like a worse joke than when Maggie fell to her knees and screamed right. over her sister. Yeah. Because that's a perfectly vi- viable character beat to have, mm-hmm. but... Maggie, we saw her. She just didn't give a shit about her sister. She was focused on everything but right. Tara. We just haven't even seen. Yeah, and it's just a misplaced moment. Yeah, yeah, and and there's no reason why that that moment couldn't have been served. Yeah, except for they want to fucking have a big Heath Tara episode later. It probably saves money. Like I, I think I saw some feedback in the forums where people were saying this has just got to be a, a money saving because you don't need all the actors all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can probably their contract probably has stuff built in, like how many episodes they appear, and yeah, especially for um, are they featured or appearing or guest stars? Like, right, right. For the people who are guest stars, which they still call a lot of the re- what I would call regulars, right. guest stars or right. appearances, whatever. That's all contract bullshit. But it, right. again, it's it just seems like it is doing bad things to the pacing and to the characterizations and to the plot. And it's all stinging. Yeah. So it's it's hard when when four you know warts appear on the episode's ass, you know, they're all caused by the same virus, you end up repeating yourself by making the same diagnosis. I don't know what to do about it. Cuz I know it, I know it's tedious. I understand. We always is. get feedback after these episodes and yeah. don't know what to do. Uh I'm going to read one of the uglies because I agreed with it so wholeheartedly. Uh, the CGI, it's pretty ugly. Those those burning beds, Jesus! My roommate and I thought it was an alien ship crash at first glance. I thought it was. I thought it was because our our feed sometimes is not the greatest resolution here in the studio. Uh-huh. But I watched my high def, and I'm like, still like, note that looks like fucking giant bars of soap on fire. We said the exact same thing during the live watch. It, like it, it the looks, aliens have landed. Yeah. Yeah, there's a st- that this is we said is the it's the X Files cross controversial X Files crossover episode. Yeah, it right. was weird. Did it was not bad. read his mattresses to me. Mm-mm. So David from Brisbane, Brisbane is that how you say it? Australia, Brisbane, Brisbane. I don't know. You're asking me. That's the real uh, question. Uh, yeah. I'm so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for that. My wife and I have just caught the latest episode. Generally, we felt it was pretty strong. Uh, although there were some cringeworthy moments. That guy harassing the pretty little girl Enid and Dwight looking to prove he is a Negan Minimi. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to feel about those moments because 
They were effective. They made me hate these fuckers. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I was just uncomfortable during it. And that's, I think that's the, the emotion they were going for. So, and I do want to say that, like, yeah, like, like ha- being a hate, portraying a hateable character is not the easiest thing in the world. And like, I think mm-hmm. guys that, like, you know, uh, was it was it uh, what the Gleason kid that played jo- Joffrey? Yeah. It's not Jack. Yeah. Is it Jack Gleason yeah. for real? Okay, it totally is. Uh, who played uh, <laughs> you know Joffrey on Game of Thrones? If you're not familiar with that, like one of the most hateable characters of all time. Like having a smug, punchable face is 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 a part of it but like it, it's it's kind of hard to be really authentically hateable and not just eye rolling right and i feel like dwight's doing that part of it but just to what end because they are also seem like they're wanting to tell the tale of his face turn as well right and it's hard to do them both hard to convince you he's a fucking irredeemable asshole and also that he's got a glimmer of good in him yeah i would say go with the irredeemable asshole first and then maybe show the glimmer of hope later not the other way around yeah it's like it you know return of the wrong. jedi when when vader decides to grab the Pal- palpatine and throw him off the cliff if they have then he goes back and decides to kill a whole room full of jedi children right after that it's like what, what, wait what what kind yeah. of arc is this very it's weird that's weird and it's a you know yeah, David goes on, uh, I do think Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Andrew Lincoln are both such strong actors that they make everyone else look second rate. Some of the script writing doesn't help, but they all have the same source, so clearly Negan and Rick are the leaders of the pack uh, as far as acting goes. And I want to call bullshit on Rosita finding the empty shell. She wasn't around when Negan fired the gun, and then she just happens to come across it in the middle of the night. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That's not, that wasn't the fifth, the, the Desert Eagle shell, was it? I think so, yeah. Huh. Because they do a close up in the same like the same position and everything on hmm. that shell. Okay. Well, because I was just figured that you could just easily find shells all over. <laughs> right. You know, it's like going to a shooting range and finding shells. Like, oh wow, you don't yeah. have to look that hard. Uh, Jarment seventy nine has a question that I can't quite remember the answer to. He says, "Blender gun can't remember. Does that still exist?" Blender gun. I don't yeah. think so. I thought they got like I I I thought the all caches of guns are accounted for at this point. Okay, because he's done. He's gone through the burying the gun well. And the other thing is, like at this point, I don't know that it matters because Rick knew about that gun. And if he's keeping something from Negan at this point, what would I even say about that? Sure. Yeah. I. <laughs> so it, the show's fucked uh... either way. If the blender gun still exists and Rick's just forgotten about, it, it's going to sh- show up later. I'm going to call bullshit. <laughs> uh-huh. And if they've they've addressed and accounted for it, then okay, it's not a big issue. Yeah, it must be gone. So yeah, I, I don't remember how it disappeared. I think Rick might have grabbed it, or Carol grabbed it, or something. Or Enid. I don't know. Enid grabbed it. Probably like you'd have something it. she she was finding on her romps. Yeah, can't remember. Anyway, Josh F says this submissive slash torture porn is pretty depressing to watch. Half expecting Negan to show up at the Alexandria Gates in a couple of weeks wearing a leather whip and a ball gag for Rick, uh, or with a leather whip and a ball gag for Rick to wear during the visit. Uh, I get it from a narrative perspective that we can't just have Rick and crew grabbing the power back in the first half of the season, but damn, viewers are going to have to eat this shit sandwich for a while, it seems. Uh, Makes me think, it does make me think if it had been more interesting long term if Rick just really seems like he's whipped. And there's no fire in his belly at all, uh-huh. and he just looks broken. So like the we, not only the characters openly questioning his leadership, but we the viewers like Jesus Christ, what the hell? Right. 
Yeah, I it is going to be tough to watch if this continues this way. And I I don't mean that from like the way that The Walking Dead is usually tough to watch. I mean that from like as a viewer, some of these things are hard to just sit through. Mm-hmm. Like when you've got a guy menacing Enid, uh, right. that's fucking hard to sit through. Right, right. Um, and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight for Daryl, for Alexandria, for any of these people. Right. Cappy from New York City. New York City. New York. Come on, Cappy. You should know better. There are a few things I would love to hear your comments on today. The first is a bit tangential. What are your thoughts on Dave Chappelle's Negan? Negan. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Not only is Dave a fan of the show, but apparently so are his many characters. Very hilarious stuff on Saturday. Did you did you see that? I did. I went and watched it, yeah. It's pretty fucking it's good. I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Dave Chappelle's whole turn on Saturday Night Live was, was pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, if you don't know, he did a thing where he played Negan doing the eeny, meeny, miny, mo scene with, like, all of his memorable characters. Little John, the crack addict. Right. The white guy. Uh, all of them. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty pretty good. I like that he did the bubblegum dish rhyme instead of the... Right. <laughs> the eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it was glorious. You can find it on YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, he says, he goes on, so this episode, like many, is about defiance versus compliance i'll say it says compile eve but there's no way that's eve (laughs) that's what it means (laughs) typically rick is on that's that's the next season a hint for mr robot i think it is compile eves typically rick is on the defiant and inciting his people to stand with him side but the roles have clearly reversed michonne rosita spencer father gabriel daryl carl and even aaron's partner who i've forgotten about all exhibit defiance eric Probably, because like he's I, been a non-entity in the show for the most part. Right, right. He he had one dinner scene. He made some mean spaghetti. He did. Uh, one way or another, toward Negan and his group, while Rick seems to display quasi-reluctant compliance. It is Eric. Yes. There is also an internal defiance of Spencer against Rick, and I'm wondering how they will expand on this in later episodes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think there is going to be some resistance to Rick. Um, and, and his just Did bowing down for Negan. That's a good question. Because if they do, then I really think the show is lost. Because that, that like, there is no difference between Rick and Negan. Right. Like, the only way, like, he has to, he, and that, that also goes against the kind of the, the hopeful plot for Glenn, where it's like, you know, he's trying to save Nicholas just as a point that, like, you know, this is, we, we, we can't just leave people behind anymore. It's kind of like a statement about mm-hmm. society today as much as the zombie apocalypse. And if Rick just beats to death everyone who he can't sway to his side, uh, well, what the hell are they trying to say here? I It would be pretty shitty of him to beat Spencer to death when he just banished Carol. <laughs> like, if you want to do anything, just banish the man. Don't beat him to death, Rick. Right. Uh, what do you think will be um, the inciting incident for Rick to realize the weight of all he has to protect uh, is better kept safe by fighting than complying. I think, I mean, I, I made some wry statements, but we know the kingdom is out there and it's inevitable that right. they will eventually get in the talk. And it feels like that they emphasize that it's a numbers thing. It's a numbers thing. Well, the kingdom's a massive operation and there might be other communities out there. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be a critical mass where Rick's like, oh shit, we might have the numbers. Um, also, it's like it's also pretty obvious that they're laying some track there with Dwight, 
you know, like some intern, like that's proxy for there being an internal struggle. Like it's not all mm-hmm. everyone, you know, united it b- behind Negan. Like the way the governor seemed like everybody in Woodbury kind of liked the governor and thought he was the cat's pajamas and no one really talked rebellion about it. Right. So those are the two avenues that like Rick is going to have other allies that are tired of Negan's bullshit at the same time that they acquire numbers. Now, once they have the numbers, I don't know what to do about the gun problem. Right. Because even if it was if even as even odds, well, I pick the guys with the guns mm-hmm. versus the guys with the bows and arrows. So I I don't know what they do with that. Okay. Well, that's it for the feedback. We are going to have some spoiler action. So if you want to get in on that, you can stick around until after the music. Uh, if you want to send in your own feedback, you can get on the forums, which I don't check. If you want to get on the show, you got to send an email to watchingdead at baldmove.com. I will get that, uh, and you will be considered for next episode. I get a lot of email, though, so if I don't use your email, I apologize, but I couldn't read them all. It's tough. Yeah. And with that said, we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do you got? Uh, so I think it's interesting, and I guess it wasn't super obvious, but, like, so Andrea in the comics is still alive. Right. And she is both Rick's lover and the group sharpshooter. Yep. Uh, which seems like something they were taking down the original Andrea until she decided she wanted, you know, no more of this, and she noped out of the show, and they killed her off. Uh-huh. Now, giving it seems like they're just essentially taking Michonne and giving her Andrea's plot. But it's confusing to me because, like, oh, okay, she's going to develop and become their sharpshooter, which is going to be uh, significant in the war to come. But then they immediately took away her practice rifle. Right. So is that a case of, like, is, is that kind of more Kirkman trolling? Or is Could that be. the plant yeah. seed that's going to develop once Rick finds another source of guns? I mean, that's the thing, like... Gu- scavenging in America, finding a gun is going to be an everyday occurrence. Mm -hmm. So Negan saying like no more magic guns that if, if Alexandrians want to start hoarding guns again, it'd be very easy for them to do so. Right. So, um, the other thing that I don't understand is I, if I recall correctly, one of the big things with the saviors is that they were largely out of ammo. In fact, everybody, but, Alexander Safe Zone is largely out of ammunition. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it seems like with them confiscating all Alexander's shit, they got plenty of guns and plenty of ammo. They haven't made any point of... Uh, but they've also introduced the reloading bullets plot. So, like, I don't know what kind of Kirkman remix we're in for with all this, but that these are some things that I thought was weird. Also, um, there's a plot in the comics where there's a girl called Holly who's superficially, physically similar to Andrea... And Negan, like, kidnaps the wrong person at one point to try to have yeah. power over Rick, and it doesn't work because he thinks he's got Andrew and he's got Holly. There's no one, like, you know, there's no one like Michonne and Alexandria that that mix-up could possibly apply to. Right. Like, he ain't going to kidnap Heath and be like, oh, I've got Rick's girlfriend. <laughs> it's like, no, man, the two of these things are not like the other. 
Right. Um, or one of these, there's just not like they're, they're very dissimilar. So I wonder if they're just not going to do that part of their plot. It's possible. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're not going to do any of it. Like you said, I mean, I don't know that they actually are going to be able to turn Michonne into a badass marksman. I think you could. Guns. I mean, I think you you could tell that story, but but she'd have to do it on her own, right? It's not like Rick is going to help her with that because, he, in his mind, you find a gun, we give it to Negan. Yeah, and also, what was she doing out of the jeep field? I don't know. She had no more gun to practice with, and yeah. like it looked like she's just going to go and practice her zen. But she can do that in Alexandria, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Maybe we're supposed to understand that she took the bag because she was also kind of scavenging, so she needs something to hold shit in. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I just thought it was weird that they're shifting her in Andrew's role, but then they kind of like backed backed right back out of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, but now it's... she's super pissed, so maybe she hides and she can't hide a gun apparently from Rick. So yeah, maybe she finds one, hides it, and uses it when she can. At what point? Because that's one of the other plots that I and, and where I'm kind of confused because I remember being really pissed at Rick. That's like Jesus Christ. When are you going to stand up against this guy? Mm-hmm. Like they'd almost convinced me that he had given up. And, like, Andrea turned on him. Carl had turned on him. Yeah. Everybody turns on him. And then he finally, at one point, like, brings, I think, Andrea's the first one where he's like, of course I haven't fucking turned over. I've been planning this thing, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, fuck yeah, Rick. Um, hmm. I wonder how they're going to do that because this Rick has they, – they, they're, they're, he's way too defiant, it seems like, at this point. Maybe I'm misremembering yeah. from the comics, well. but it just feels like that Rick was – playing this we got to accept this this is the way the world works like he's pushing that not just in his words but also his demeanor and his actions and everything like, well i just don't want trouble okay i don't want any more i don't want any more people to die and he's act he's saying those things but he's acting like a man who's kind of cavalier about whether people should live or die maybe that's going to be part of the arc i guess is you know they don't feel like just having this one moment where he's got to decide whether or not to chop off Carl's arms right. uh, is going to be enough to really break the man. So they're kind of going to push him farther down that hole as they go and then have him come out of it later Yeah, to, you know, extend the season artificially maybe, some might say. So that's the other thing is, like, I talked about the pacing and character development and right. Dwight and how it looks like a re- regression. One of the plot points in the comics is that Dwight does turn traitor to Negan, and he's instrumental yep. in being the man out on the inside that gives them intelligence and coordinates things so that that leads to the successful assault on the savior's complex. Mm. And the moment of Dwight coming forward and kind of volunteering his services in this line is a real, you know, the, the, the way they've showed his dissatisfaction with Negan was a lot more subtle and a lot more time to kind of develop. And when he makes this offer to, to Rick, uh, Rick doesn't have any information that like it's kind of it's, it reads as an act of faith mm-hmm. like boy this thing is all kind of like everything's in the balance and everything depends on this one dice throw and I'm going to trust uh, I'm going to affirmatively trust this man and it worked out for them but it, it, the, the moment read is kind of like a real act of faith whereas like they've already shown so much of Dwight and also they have they have Daryl on the inside who can confirm, like, all this stuff is going on, so, like, they don't have to just trust Dwight. I'm wondering what they're doing with that kind of remix, too, or if they've even thinking about what 
the good things that they do in the comic with that tension that they might be throwing away by bringing Daryl into the compound so that we can break Daryl. Oh, that'd be cool. We can fucking give him his own Theon plot. Right. So let me get into the first email because it has a lot to do with that. Okay. Uh, Citizens for Tiege, I'm going to call it. It's probably Teague, but I'm saying Teague. I must be crazy because this seems so obvious to me, but I haven't heard anyone talk about it yet. Are they not just planning to have Daryl take over Dwight's storyline? Then Alexandria will be led by Rock, the Kingdom by Carol, Hilltop by Maggie, and the Sanctuary by Daryl. This is what they're doing, right? So, I mean, what about, you know, just eliminating Dwight? Get rid of Dwight and have Daryl be the thing that... That's allows more Rick obvious, the end. I know, right? I know, it's more obvious. Do you think that's what they're doing? I man, you think I never that's even, the thing I, they're going it for. It never crossed my mind. I thought that Daryl was an and, a yes and, not a no but. So right. I, I thought, I thought he was going to be included with the Dwight story and maybe give Dwight's motivations a little bit more clarity. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. That's an interesting suggestion, but also something i guess it's, it feels dissatisfying like why even have dwight at all then right just have daryl be taken in and become what yeah, dwight like, is like right having now daryl bump into him makes like almost elevates dwight to a higher place than he was in the comics like this mm-hmm. stuff this whole arc has to do with him at a very you know very baseline level if you're going to write him out just for shits and grins later like why that makes that episode of them you know, wandering together and getting double crossed back se- last season, even st- more stupid in retrospect. <laughs> uh huh. All right, Graham H says, "I feel like the writers are trying to make Dwight more unlikable than he is in the comics, which may make his story arc less believable." In the comics, Dwight, after turning traitor to Negan in All Out War, is a close ally to Rick, like you said, uh, becomes a very respectable leader in the war against the Whisperers. Granted, Dwight's character does evolve a lot during that time. Even in the beginning, his motivations for being a dick is to keep his family safe. Uh, in the show, however, Dwight is actively trying to antagonize people like Rosita for no apparent reason. Not to mention uh, mention he accidentally shot Denise as opposed to Abraham, making him less of a badass, more of a scumbag. In short, I'm not sure how uh, I'm not sure how Dwight will still betray Negan, but I don't buy him turning into the true blue hero that he's supposed to become. Yeah, I mean, for all those reasons that we talked about in the full episode, I agree with you. It's or in the recap, I agree with you. It's problematic having him be such an asshole in the city. Yeah, I mean, anytime you got a character, you got to show a character struggling with some like a role they're trying to play for some other guy. And I keep thinking of like Nick Cage portraying the anguish of being uh, John Travolta locked in. Cyrus uh-huh. the virus's yeah. body, or what? That wasn't Cyrus the virus. It was what Pollux. Yeah, it was uh, Pollux Troy, his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was in Castor Troy. Castor Troy. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> like, like you know, he didn't. He played that pretty fucking broadly, right? The, but Ooh, it, I'm Castor Troy. But but it was a, it was an act clearly but in they front showed, of his brother. Yeah, and, and then right. it was like something that, like the camera noticed, but no one else did. Like like everybody, you know, we we knew his character enough that we could detect that fine little line but no one else yeah, could right so there's ways you can do that on film yep dwight like and i, I also don't think are you suggesting you switch dwight and daryl's faces <laughs> of course <laughs> what you're suggesting of course um and I'm i would like it. to see dwight's norman reedus impersonation <laughs> but but you know what i mean like the, so you got that number one it's kind of tricky what they're trying to do but then they've also got this disjointed storytelling where uh they bookend 
Dwight's character development episode with him being an asshole, which right. makes it seem like there is like it's less of an act and more like this is the kind of guy that Dwight really wants to be. Yeah. Um, or that he was driven to be this kind of asshole by the situation he's in, but I, I don't know. It's it's weird. It, it, they're trying to straddle that fence. That it, it seems like it's a bad idea. Like that would have been much better if it was just a natural progression. Like, okay, well, this guy swung into being an asshole to fit in and to kind of deal with the pain. But mm-hmm. he, when he he's confronted with the ability of or uh, the fact that there's settlements that can maybe do this the right way. He feels genuine remorse and, and contrition and, and wants to, to fight that good fight. This just feels like a guy just jerking back and forth and being bipolar. Yeah, I'm with you. And finally, Devin from Austin says, Do you think Daryl is taking Carol's, or sorry, Carl's storyline in the comics where Carl is basically our eyes and seeing how the sanctuary functions? No way, man. If we get no. robbed out of Carl stowing away in the... And, and, and it'd be funny if he, he might have done it already. Like... It would be it would be interesting retroactively if we understand that that POV from the gun tr- the gun truck is Carl s- smuggling himself in there. But if if we miss <laughs> okay. out, I mean, him stowing away and showing those stones in front of Negan sets up Negan and Carl's relationship, which is arguably one of the the big impactful storylines of the post time jump plot line. Hmm. Uh, again, I didn't follow it past the Whisperer plot, but I presume that continued to bear fruit. Um, Negan as the prisoner and Carl as like so he's like the Hannibal Lecter and Carl is the Agent Starling. Okay. Um, his soul's kind of in the balance and what 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 kind of man he's going to be is 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 caught up between this uh you know his 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 the shadow his father cast and and Negan. Mm-hmm. If if they just do away with all that, then what the hell? Yeah, I can't see them doing like that. that's gutting a lot of what The Walking Dead is. Right. And that's it. That's all I got too. Okay, cool. It's another podcast in the bag. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us through the spoilers, and we will see you next time. Yep, see ya.